Coalfield and Company, live at the Thomas and Matt. Here in the fourth quarter, Booker attacking. Booker on the left block gets the and one. Off the backboard and in, she is fouled. Big time bucket there by Essence Booker. Winners attacking to the left block. Splits the defense and has the shot rejected by Young. Just spiked that ball there like a volleyball nice. setter. And the Lady Rebels in year number two under head coach Lindy LaRock are going to the Mount West Conference Tournament Championship. We got ourselves a championship game in Las Vegas. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. Lady Rebels go for the bit tonight. You hear the call there from uh, Wyatt Tomchak calls as they win in the semis. Finals coming up. 7 o'clock tonight. Colorado State is the opponent. Come on down. You can check out the game. Really give the Lady Rebels a home court advantage. And then tomorrow, the men are on the floor, 2.30 in session uh, one of the day. As it will uh, be two games, a noon game with Boise and Reno, and then it's UNLV and Wyoming. And right now, Candy, UNLV in a pick'em situation against Wyoming, sort of on the Rebels' home floor, but, I mean, they changed the entire building. Everything is different. I will say the shooting background is different, and I know most people don't care about stuff like that. The Mountain West this year has actually dropped a giant black curtain on each end and pushed the stands way back. So if there were a Sarah Kamart situation, she would just kind of fall like that lady did around Matt Stafford. So it's very dangerous. Don't lean over the rail. Um, but the, the, the atmosphere is slightly different. That said, the Rebels are, a uh, again, a pick against Wyoming. Look, this is not meant to drag UNLV fans for this particular season because there have been issues with this for years and years. But is it going to be really that different? Uh, We didn't see a lot of huge crowds at the MAC this year. So if we don't fill it up for Wyoming and UNLV tomorrow, then is it going to change that much? Let me actually push back a little bit the other direction. You know what team tends to show out really well every year for the Mountain West Tournament? Wyoming fans come out every single year. You could find UNLV in sort of an away situation, depending on how many Rebel fans decide to make it out to the Thomas and Mac tomorrow. So if you want to give the Rebels a home court advantage, got to get out to the Mac and actually help them out. One, two, three, four, five. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five. Number five. Oh, man, I'm, I'm a scared even broach the topic but I watched winning time the Lakers story on HBO I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it because I knew there were going to be some villains some people who maybe folks really don't know behind the scenes and there were lots of them candy what do you think of winning time all right, let's get a little behind the scenes for the people here, though, Cofield. You texted me Monday night to see if I'd already watched it, and you knew the answer already. The answer is going to be no. If anybody in my life asks me, have you watched, the answer is no. So I went and dialed it up because I remembered being excited by the promo. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I like the Adam McKay style. I like that talk to the camera. I loved what they did with uh, – showing Jerry Buss first getting into the ownership of the team. But, yeah, I mean, from what we've read since, well, at least let me let me rephrase, what I've read since, uh, they definitely took some liberties not only with Jerry West and turning him into a huge jerk, but uh, with Jack Kent Cook as well. Oh, is that right? I so wanted 
not that I dislike Jerry West, but I still wanted him to be who they portrayed him to be. And and the Jack Can't Cook thing, a former you know pro sports owner, um, I I completely bought that hook, line, and sinker that he was a jackass. Well, it turns out they tried to make it out to where Jerry Buss was the hero for being the only one who wanted to draft Magic Johnson. Uh, they set it up to where Cook wanted to go the other way. Turns out, in reality, according to Jeff Perlman's book, Showtime, which it's supposed to be based off, uh, Cook actually wanted Magic Johnson, and they made Jerry West out to be sort of a swearing, swaggering jerk uh, in the winning time, and boy, Cofield, did the media capes come out for Jerry West. I mean, anyone who has ever had Jerry West as a source came out and said, look, he is a tortured character. He's had a lot of depression in his life, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and look, I, I've, I've never covered Jerry West. I don't know the reality, but it seems to me like the liberty and license that's been taken with the Jerry West character has been, uh, you know, a little bit much. Uh, I believe that uh, we have a question from one of our P1s, Brady, uh, wa wants to know if I've moved from my chair since March 15th of 2020. I think that's a very specifically chosen date. Uh, wants me to be sort of a, uh, an internal masker, never leave my house. Uh, Brady, I, I, I resent that. This is one of the most comfortable chairs I've ever owned. I have no reason to leave it if I don't want to. It has nothing to do with COVID. Number four. Yeah, we're live right now on video up on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube as well. Kofi and the company live. Thomas and Mac here on this Wednesday as uh, we're tracking what's going on in the final men's game of the day. When Fresno, San Jose State is still hanging around, and this Fresno team is going to be a really tough matchup for San Diego State, as we saw last week in a double overtime game. But you got to get there. Right now it's 31-29, a minute and a half into the second half. Bulldogs again, 31-29 up on San Jose State. So, Candy, I notice uh, just about every day, uh, well, it's been the last two days, when all this big news has been coming out around the National Football League, you keep tweeting out stuff to the effect of, hey, the Calvin Ridley thing, just because you dumped it before you know all the activity was going to happen around the NFL, is still a story. Well, on first take, they've got, what, one day a week where uh, New York radio legend Mad Dog Russo, Chris Russo, goes on with Stephen A., and we see who can out-scream the other, and I, I think so far... Mad Dog is actually kind of blown away, Stephen A., because he's used to just bringing a lot of the energy and screaming at former athletes and then uh, basically threatening them that they're not going to be on the show anymore. Well, Russo comes on, and he's he's a freaking lunatic, and he wanted to go in on this one. I know it's one of your favorite topics, but he's one of those guys who seems to have Calvin Ridley's back on this gambling on the NFL thing. This is a guy who makes $3.5 million a year. He bet $1,500. He's not going to be compromised by some crime syndicate. He did this legally. This is in Florida. He didn't do this illegally. They're in all the leagues. They're all in bed with these gambling places. They got fantasy football. They got They have a fake. I mean, they got, they got a Super Bowl in Las Vegas. They put the Raiders there. All right. Man, I'll tell you what, our sound crew is really on top of it. Any sports book that doesn't advertise with us, you get beeped. No free pops, Mad Dog. Keep going with this as uh, Doggy continues to try to build a case that a NFL betting on the NFL and betting on his team. I mean, what's the big deal? That is ridiculous. I mean, I could not believe it. I got to see. Gotta, all right, you want to make a stand? You want to give him four games? And what are they worrying about with it being compromised? He's making too much money. Nobody's going to take his $2 million bet. Nobody does that. Candy? 
Back when uh, Mad Dog used to do the intentional talk show on MLB Network, I, I would have the previous show on, and just as soon as I heard the first screech, I would be like, oh, God, no, Mad Dog, I got to get, oh, God, let me turn this off real fast. So thank you for making me listen to that last minute of uh, Christopher Russo trying to be the contrarian. Let me just throw a wild thing out there at everybody. Two things can exist at the same time. Two things can be true. The first thing that is true is that the NFL can be hypocritical on gambling. It can be in bed with a number of sports books, and you can be mad that they're trying to send a message. You could think that Ridley's suspension is too long. You can think that it's unfair that he only bet this little amount and he's a millionaire. You know the other thing that can be true at the same time? Players know they cannot bet on their own games. It is an integrity optics nightmare. And that is something that has not been allowed since the dawn of time. And it doesn't matter what sort of deal your league has with a sportsbook. You as a player are damn well aware that you cannot bet not only on league games, but on games involving your own team. And to every simp out there who has said, well, he was away from the team. It's not like he could have any effect on it. Does he have teammates that he talks to? Does he know what the game plan is? Does he know how his team matches up against the other team? Any number of these things could be true, and it doesn't even matter if they are, because the optics of them alone are a potential nightmare for the NFL, whether they have a deal with a sportsbook or not during the era of legal sports betting. Both things can be true, but the truest of all of them is that Calvin Ridley cannot bet on NFL games, and you are a mark and a simp if you think he can. Number three. Please use simp more on the show. Well, simp and ain't easy, but it's necessary. <laughs> simp and ain't easy. Uh, big day of quarterback news. Again, we'll get to Carson Wentz. Wentz going to the Commanders. You know, I got to tell you, with the backdrop of football team kind of flopping and grabbing someone with a lot of draft capital and having to pay a lot of his contract, you know, the Giants' plan, if Mitch Trubisky comes at a reasonable cost, to have Trubisky as a potential quarterback of the future but also to push Daniel Jones, ain't the worst plan for your Giants. Oh, I thought about this a lot last night, Cofield. I read this story after we talked about it on air yesterday, and I think I said yesterday that it's going to test my sanity. And then I thought about it last night, and I don't know, maybe it was the Guinness. But I thought, you know what? This works out one of two ways, and I like either of them. Now, the most likely way it works out is that both of these two guys suck and the Giants get a high draft pick because they shouldn't be trying to compete next year anyway. They don't have nearly enough firepower to make a run they are, what, I believe 80-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl, and even that feels pretty short to me. But the other way this works out is, what if one of the two of them is actually any good? We, the Giants are actually going to do something smart in that you're going to take two middling quarterbacks who haven't been able to succeed and put them against each other, and you'll have a chance with two middling quarterbacks to find out if either one of them is any good in a year where it's going to be impossible for them to go get anyone truly good in free agency or the draft. If you're going to take a shot on a so-so quarterback and see if they're any good, why not take a shot on two of them? So the Giants have two likely scenarios. 
One, the most likely, they're both terrible because that's the track record both of them have, and this team tanks the way you would hope it does to get a better draft pick and a better quarterback draft. Or, what if you're actually right and one of them is okay? That would be a win for the Giants. Number two. Yeah, if you didn't hear Carson Wentz traded from the Colts to Washington, keep in mind, the Colts wound up giving up a lot of draft capital, decent amount of draft capital, and they bailed on the guy in a year. And it's pretty clear. Washington did not have a QB plan in place, and they got desperate here. And I don't believe that Carson Wentz is going to have some kind of resurgence. I actually think it's going to go the other way. Um, losing organizations bring out the worst in mediocre players. Not all of them. I mean, you sent out the PFF grades of Carson Wentz earlier in the day on Twitter. They took on all of his money. We're talking about, and there is an out um, after what, next year? Right. But still, they're going to be paying the guy in the range of, you know, 23 to $28 million. And he just, he is what he is. He's like the 17th. 18th, 21st best quarterback in the league. What are you doing, Washington? What is the advantage you get from throwing a guy like Carson Wentz out there where the upside is minimal at best at $28 million a year versus any number of other plans? Resign Ryan Fitzpatrick. Let Taylor Heineke have another year. Draft Malik Willis and see what you get. And you wouldn't be paying $28 million for a guy who clearly does not have it. I did tweet out the PFF grades because Carson Wentz has one year in the top five in the NFL. He was the MVP in 2017. Every year beyond that, his pro football-focused passer grade is 14th or below with a low of 32nd two years ago. And everybody wants to look at the numbers last year and say, oh, look how much. He was better with Frank Reich. The Colts were a better team. Here's what I know about Carson Wentz with the Colts last year. He was in the high 20s in pro football focus grade. But if you don't like pro football focus grade, his team lost to Jacksonville in the last week of the season to fall out of the playoffs. That's the guy you want leading your franchise? That's the guy you want to spend $28 million on? The commanders are just as much of a joke as any franchise in the NFL, and that is saying something when the team that Carson Wentz lost to was employing Big Urban Meyer. Can we mention the other side of this? Uh, before we all sit here and uh, genuflect at the feet of Chris Ballard, what exactly is this organization doing at quarterback? I know they got a bad break with Andrew Luck, but since then, week one starting quarterback by year, Scott Tolzien, then Luck again. This is going back to 17-18. Jacoby Brissett, Phillip Rivers, Carson Wentz. What is next? They have to get this right with this roster. That's the problem with this roster. It's getting more expensive and a year older now. And what you've done is, look, I love the Phillip Rivers idea. I thought that was a great plan. Let's just take one swing with Rivers. And be honest with yourselves. If you think that the Indianapolis Colts failed with Rivers, you're wrong. Because they were one drive away from the Buffalo Bills winning that game in the opening round with Phillip Rivers. Now, when you look at what they did with Carson Wentz, they overpaid, they took a big swing, and it failed. But you know what Chris Ballard did? And I'm not going to genuflect at the altar of Ballard. Look, he flipped a one for a three with Carson Wentz. That's not good. Uh, 
But he cut his losses, and he realized the Wentz thing wasn't working, and he got out from it while he could. And the best thing the Indianapolis Colts could have done was to move the money. Don't look at the number of the draft pick in terms of which round. Look at the fact that they got out from the entire contract and that the Colts are going to have $70 million in cap space. Now, who do you go out and spend it on? I don't mind if you go out and sign Ryan Fitzpatrick because Ryan Fitzpatrick is a clear upgrade over Carson Wentz. Take another one-year swing at this with this roster with a guy like Fitzy who in a terrible, terrible AFC South gives you as good of a chance as anybody for winning the division. Number one. Boy, oh boy, until... And I think the Raiders are going to sign Derek Carr to an extension eventually. They're going to work this out. It's not a guarantee. But until that happens, Raider Nation social media is going to be insane. Were you following along yesterday as people pick their sides? Because now it gets even more intense. There's a group that doesn't think Carr's the guy to go forward with. There's a group that loves Derek Carr. And now that you brought another great quarterback into the division, and Denver may be the third or second best team in the AFC West, now everyone is really going into their freaking, you know, their car battle trenches. Yesterday and today and last night on social media was insane. So many car backers fighting the car detractors. And then there's our buddy from the AP, Josh Dupont. Who I, I actually I I admire him. He is he is planting his flag. Like if people think that he was kind of wishy washy in any way on car, and he does it through numbers. I mean, he battled people all day yesterday who loved Derek Carr. And by the way, Candy, there's nothing wrong with this. And when Camp Carr gets all mad and they go and block the ESPN.com writer Paul Gutierrez, who's been on the beat. For years and years and years, that is childish. This is the job, Derek. People are going to pick sides. Not everyone is going to be on your side. Media people who who, who send out stats as well or suggest that, hey, there's a decision at hand, they're not bad guys. This is what you get with being a quarterback on a team that has you know upper half of the league expectations. If you don't know... Josh from the AP up in the Bay Area. Think about it this way if you're an ESPN Las Vegas listener. If you think that Tyler Bischoff has a shrine in his house to someone, it is a shrine to Josh Dubow from the AP because Josh is the grown-up version of what Tyler hopes he can be someday, fighting every person in the world with the deepest of statistical knowledge, and every time, he's right. So... Josh basically has said to all of the car stands out there, show me, show me a number, show me what it is. And they don't have an answer because there's no nuance in this situation. You're either for Derek Carr or you're against him. There's no place for a guy like me. I, sir, have been canceled in the Derek Carr discussion. There is no place for a middle ground of me saying he is an above (laughs) average quarterback that you can build around and win with, but also say... This Raiders roster going into 2022 with the rest of the division they're facing, it does not make sense to build around Derek Carr right now in this spot. So guys like me have no place. Guys like Paul Gutierrez, who go as far back with the Raiders as any beat writer could, getting blocked on Twitter. Are you serious? There's no one who plays it down the middle with the Raiders better 
than Paul Gutierrez. Vic Tafer does as well from, from The Athletic. But come on. Grow some skin. I don't know if it's Derek Carr. I don't know if it's his social media team. I don't know if each of the Carr brothers has the ability to hit the block button from the Derek Carr Twitter account. But grow up. Just grow up. Get a playoff win before you start blocking beat reporters. I mean, it's ridiculous the amount of vitriol that the Carr family circus manages to come up with when it comes to reporters and perceived enemies out there. Just stop it. Go win something and then get back to me on who you want to block on social. Oh, boy. Things are starting to heat up here. We'll address Carr on the way back. Uh, At the Thomas and Mack, final men's game of the day, the 11 seed, the worst team in the conference, San Jose leads number six, the six-seeded Fresno State Bulldogs, 37-35. to Orlando Robinson probably wants to rip his hair out. He has 21 of the 35 for the Bulldogs, and they are losing this game right now with 12 minutes left. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battle Born Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battle Born Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Flyers coming in, penalty time, but a wraparound goal, they score! Oscar Lindblom, just as the penalty time runs out, the Flyers strike. 2-0 Philadelphia, 50 seconds to go in the first period. Now, back to Cofield and Company, live at the Thomas and Matt. Just flabbergasting, come on. Flyers have won four games in 2022, and they take out the Golden Knights. Time is running out to get this team in a flow. Get it together. Uh, Big day tomorrow for Jack Eichel. The team that I believe pushed him out of Buffalo. Do fans have a right in Saberland to be mad at Eichel? Absolutely not. Put yourself in Jack Eichel's shoes if you would ever be mad at him. If you and your doctors thought that you knew the best course of action for you to be healthy and able to perform your job for the rest of your life, and your boss and your company said, eh, you know what, the insurance isn't going to cover that one. We can't do that. Um, our doctors say, you need to have this surgery. You wouldn't do it. There's no way you would do it. That's the situation Jack Eichel found himself in. So if you're someone who's mad at Jack Eichel in Buffalo, then... You're the same kind of person who is siding with the owners in Major League Baseball right now. Yep. Fresno now leading 44-42. About nine minutes left in the final men's game of the day. 9.28 left. So we mentioned uh, Las Vegas. Orlando Robinson with 21 of the 44 for Fresno. They have got to advance, and that will certainly make for a good 3-6 game. That will be the late game. Uh, tomorrow in the quarterfinals. If you want to go to the quarterfinals, two sessions. UNLV plays in the first one in the afternoon. Go grab your tickets right now, UNLVtickets.com, and we'll see you out here at the Thomas and Mac on Thursday. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. You know, with the way Graham and, and Maldonado have played this year, I think uh, you know it's hard to say what they would do differently because they're such good players and they've been so effective and efficient all year. But uh, that's why we've got to give them a number of different looks. We, we can't let them get comfortable and get a rhythm. Uh, last game, we didn't have to do it a lot because of the way Royce and David guarded. I thought they did a, a phenomenal job of just pushing the catches out, not letting them catch too close to the hoop. 
Now, back to Cofield and Company, live at the Thomas and Mack. Kevin Kruger talking about the matchup against Wyoming. We got a freaking grinder here. First day of the uh, men's field Mountain West Conference Tournament. It's never easy, man. And, you know, teams with one last chance. San Jose is playing their uh, keisters off. They're only down three. Fresno trying to pull away. It's 47-44 here at the Thomas and Mack. And if Fresno advances, uh, they're into the quarterfinals. They'll take on San Diego State. And we got a great quarterfinals set of uh, games, four games tomorrow on the way. UNLV is going to take on Wyoming. Jeff Linder is the head coach of the Cowboys, one of the best stories in the conference, and the coach is with us. How are you? Doing good. And as you said, it's never easy, especially in this conference this year. It never is. And, you know, San Jose uh, didn't have a great year, and, you know, they were a little bit shorthanded. And, you know, they, they've come out here. They're hitting some threes. I mean, you know they, if they start hitting threes, they've hit seven of them. So they're plus 12 from the uh, three-point line. And uh, now, you know, the Bulldogs have uh, a real fight. Yeah, they're uh, San Jose's a, t- a tough guard. If you if you don't take away the three, uh, you know they they can stay with you. And Fresno at times you know, has struggled scoring, and so uh, it's just it's been par for the course this year in the Mountain West. I mean, it's just it's amazing how many one possession, you know, just two possession games that you know that we've had so far in the conference this year. So, coach, let's talk about you first, and then we'll get to the players here in a couple of minutes. And I know you had experience in the conference as. Uh, an assistant coach, so you knew the conference. So when you were at Northern Colorado, you had a chance to jump back in. Uh, you ran right for it at Wyoming, huh? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, being that I was about an hour and hour and a half down the road in Greeley, Colorado, having grown up in Denver, Colorado, I mean, I knew, and, and then having played Wyoming three three times when I was at Northern Colorado and, and, and had beaten them three times, and so having you know, a pretty good idea of what the job was, having been in the league as an assistant with Leon at uh, Boise for six years. Um, you know, I, I know it's uh, you know one of those jobs. It's not an easy job, but you know there there is no easy job. But I do know that you know there's a lot of support. There's a lot of you know there's a lot of pride um, that goes along with the brown and gold. And, and you'll see that here you know tomorrow when uh, I, I would imagine there's going to be a, a lot of brown and gold in the Thomas and Mac. I think there will be. Uh, there will be. And it's funny, uh, Kevin Kruger, in talking to him the other day, you know, after the game, you know, last week where you guys faced him, he. He was talking about your roster, and he's like, man, they've done a really good job recruiting. I mean, they got some wings that are like power five size guys. So talk about recruiting to Laramie. Well, I mean, it's not easy to consider that you, know, you draw a 200-mile you know, circle around Laramie, and there's, there's not a lot of guys that are good enough to help you win games in the Mountain West. And, um, and so we've had to do things. You know, we've had to go find the guys and identify guys, and maybe other people um, didn't quite see what we saw. I mean, that's how I've kind of made my way in the business, having – Recruited Damian Lillard to Weber, uh, Chandler Hutchison to Boise, Justinian Jessup to Boise. I mean, some of those guys that were kind of the, the so-called diamond in the rough. And, uh, we definitely have that with, you know, Graham E.K., who, who was recruited coming out of high school, but, you know, had a knee injury his senior year and, and his recruitment kind of dropped off when he decided to sign late. And we just kind of stayed the course. And, um, and then with COVID having happened, I mean, it made, Recruiting even that much more difficult, but uh, you know my staff did a tremendous job of identifying guys like Jeremiah Odin. Xavier Ducell was coming to with to play for me in Northern Colorado, and then you know, was fortunate to inherit a player like you know, Hunter Maldonado. And uh, um, and I think right now what you see is, I mean, just with that collection of guys, I mean, it's helped us you know make a, a pretty quick uh, leap up in the standings, um, just with the quality of players that we found. In an era where people are bombing from three, talk about embracing what you have on the roster in two, 
uh, great post-up players. I mean, one a little non-traditional in Hunter Maldonado, who a lot of times gets himself to the post, and then EK, but embracing the post-up game. Yeah, I mean, I'm an analytics guy, and the analytics say it's probably it's not what you're supposed to do, but I, I do know that when you have two guys as good as they are, I mean, you got to make sure you put the ball in your best player's hands. And um, I think right now, I mean, based off of, you know, Synergy, which is, a, you know, a video and stat site that, uh, you know, most of the coaches, you know, most of the Division One coaches use. I mean, I think right now in terms of number of possessions used in the post, including passes out of the post, I think we're almost 300 uh, possessions ahead of the, of the number two ranked team in the country, and that would be Purdue. And so, um, you know, we're definitely the old school inside out um, and that's what we have to be. I mean, we had to adjust, uh, you know, our lineup and, and how we played when I lost Marcus Williams, who had transferred to Texas A&M, and uh, not having our traditional point, but putting, you know, our best players on the floor and, and utilizing Maldo in a way that very few, you know, players are, have been used. I mean, unless Charles Barkley, maybe a Gary Payton back in the day, a Mark Jackson, a bigger guard that could really back you down and not just have the ability to score, but the ability to pick you apart with the pass. And so, um, you know, we're a little non-traditional, I guess, even though we, it was the way the game was played a long time ago, but um, it's what gives us the best chance to win. Wyoming head coach Jeff Linder joining us here on Cofield and Company, taking on the Rebels tomorrow in the quarterfinals of the Mountain West Tournament. You can get tickets at unlvtickets.com. You can also come out to Thomas and Mac. To check out the game, uh, that was the location of the Cowboys taking on the Rebels. Not all that long ago, Coach, uh, feels like to me that the, the final score of a seven-point margin really doesn't show just how tight that game was. Your team was right there all the way down to the end. What would you take out of that matchup with UNLV as you get ready to play them again? Well, I mean, it was, I mean, uh, it was a tough matchup, especially for us in the way the schedule kind of unfolded where we – that was the third game in, in five days, and um, as I told my guys, I mean, that's, that's no excuse, but when you have a team like mine where your top seven guys, uh, four of them are COVID freshmen, and, and the you know, fifth is a true freshman, and they've never really been through the, the grind of a college season. I mean, last year with COVID, I mean, it wasn't necessarily the grind in terms of the games. It was a grind because of COVID and the testing, but um, you know, my guys really hadn't experienced what it was like to play in the middle of February, late February, and then now when you're the hunted, where before I mean, we, were the, we were the hunter, and now the teams want to get a quad one win. And, and now, I mean, so we're getting teams' best shots. So for my guys to have to try to navigate through that, feel that for the first time, but, um, you know, but the, the Rebels were, I mean, they were ready to go that night. Coach Kruger's done a great job with them. As the season's gone on, they've just gotten better and better. Um, and during that stretch before, you know, before we played, I mean, they won pretty much, I think, five out of seven, and it's two losses were to Boise. So, um, you know, he had them playing, you know, really well. Um, you know, they had a little bit more time to, to kind of prepare, but, um, you know, they just did a good job of beating us to 50-50 balls, offensive rebounds, and, and give them credit, they did a good job making us miss. I mean, we missed 40 shots in that game. Graham Ike, who's shooting nearly 60% for the field, goes six for 19, but, you know, a lot of that had to do with, you know, what Ham did and, um, you know, they're posted. And so we got a big challenge ahead of us, and, um, and, and we know that uh, we better be at our best or, or we won't have a chance. Well, in talking about Graham Ike and that performance against UNLV, uh, I am not trying to get you in trouble with the conference office, so I'm going to say these things. You don't need <laughs> yeah, to say please. these things. Yeah, please, but yeah, I, don't, I'm I, after, yeah, no, we're not trying to cause any trouble, but I told anyone who uh, would listen on our end here in Vegas that, you know, uh, Graham Ike was going to have to show bones sticking out and a little bit of blood to get some calls. Uh, he was definitely handled physically in that game. 
What do you need to do? Let's say the whistle goes the same way that it did in that game. What do you need to do for Graham for him to be the kind of performer that he's been all year? Well, I mean, I think the way that they guarded us, I mean, Graham got to spots, and um, you know, he's still a, an eighteen, you know, nineteen-year-old COVID freshman, and um, having to really kind of play toward you know the season like we've had and the poundage that he's taken. Um, you know, I think you know he, he was he's been tired, and I think for us to kind of have this break before the conference term, I think it's going to do wonders for him because those last five games, I mean, he was he was running on fumes. And, you know, I thought he really got to, got to his spots, but um, just sometimes, you know, and a player as good as he is and as good as he is in terms of making shots, his ball just didn't go in that night. And, you know, you know, these size and length had, had something to do with it, but he got to, you know, he, he got a lot of clean looks, and so you know we'll, we'll we'll be ready for whatever they want to throw to throw at us. I mean, we've seen every every type of possible post <laughs> post defense uh, post double that you can possibly imagine all year, and, um, and and I'm sure he'll be just fine with with the blue being a little bit fresher. Did you like what you guys did defensively against Bryce Hamilton? Well, I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna stop a guy like Bryce. I mean, he um, you know he he presents a lot of problems. Um, and I thought we did for the most part. We did a good job getting the ball out of his hands um, with a quick turnaround like we had. And, and the one thing, too, is if it, if it one thing was a quick turnaround and we had played him before, but not having played him, having played San Diego State, you know, the night before, um, you know, we had a really a, a very minimal prep in terms of what we were trying to do. I mean, I, I was just trying to make sure my guys had the energy to show up and, and, and be able to play for 40 minutes at the level that I knew they needed to play at in order to compete that night. And so, um, you know, there were some scouting mistakes that we definitely made that hopefully we could kind of sure up. But, um, you know, sometimes you're just at the mercy of whether or not, you know, Bryson's going to make or miss shots. And he's a tough shot taker, but he's also a tough shot maker. And he's the type of guy that, you know, the head coach doesn't make you sleep at night. Coach, we appreciate a couple minutes, and we'll see you out here at the T&M tomorrow. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. There he is, Wyoming coach Jeff Linder. Done an amazing job in his two years coming over from Northern Colorado before that. Boise State assistant, and as he said, you know, an area guy, so he's very much into the Mountain West Conference. I think this matchup is fascinating because on the UNLV side, the Rebels can get better because Bryce Hamilton was freaking swarmed anytime he got the ball. Wyoming did a great job defensively where they would double him, and oftentimes, Candy, he'd be 26 feet from the basket, and they'd double him with a big, and he couldn't see over the big, so he couldn't even pass effectively out of the double team. On the other side, EK, I mean, if they do the same thing, they're going to feed EK the ball 25 to 30 times or more in the post. And you being an official, you got to admit, Wyoming is a tough team to officiate because if you wanted, if you wanted to call things tightly, EK could foul out three big guys. He could draw 15 fouls in a game on the opposing defense. And that's why this game against Wyoming, for me, is going to come down to how it's officiated. If this is officiated the same way that the game a couple of weeks ago was, I think you're going to see UNLV have a lot of success because whether Graham Ike is fresher or not, he's not going to be fresh if he takes the kind of pounding he did against the Rebels last time after 30-odd minutes and 25 touches. And that's not to say that there's a right or wrong way to call it. But there are two very different ways to approach that post play. Now, typically in the postseason, you're going to see officials not want to get involved as much. Right, and right. if you're going to let it go, then I think that goes to UNLV's advantage. To what you said about Bryce Hamilton, uh, Bryce Hamilton's passing 
in that game against Wyoming was outstanding. But the real key was that UNLV, including Webster in particular, mm-hmm. made those passes pay off with made shots. Royce Ham as well. If the Rebels do that, they're going to win this game. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm fascinated by the Ham v. EK matchup because we know Royce has had foul trouble. And, you know, I always want to ask coaches and players, but they're not going to tell you before a game. In the case of Ham, do you try to feed him a bunch of times to then put the onus on EK defensively? Like, let's get that dangerous big guy off the floor by forcing contact offensively, not charging, because we know Royce has had an issue with that, but put the pressure on that defense and the officials and find out early on if it's going to be a freaking this is going to sound terrible a bang fest i don't mean it that way but like are we going to allow, are we going to be allowed to get physical because if we are then let's go and that's what happened in that first game like you said let's come back we'll break down the game a little bit more and uh, we'll get you an update on the uh, final score here if it does go final 250 left final men's game of the day fresno now with a 56-52 lead on san jose Cofield and Company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. So, Candy, last couple things on the uh, UNLV game tomorrow. 2.30 start, 2 o'clock with Running Rebel warm-up. It's part of uh, a doubleheader noon. Reno takes on Boise State. I'm not really sure, you know, which which side you're going to pick there. I don't mean you. I mean the fans. I guess you're rooting against Reno, but then that means you're rooting for Leon Rice. So, not always easy, but you get two games tomorrow, UNLVtickets.com, and uh, the Rebels taking on Wyoming. I want to ask you, this is a weird one, as an official – when you're calling games, you're watching the games completely different, right? Like, can you sit there and process some of the nuances of the game as everything is happening around you? You have to watch so much of the floor. Well, let's get deeper into that. What do you consider the nuances so, of the game? What I was going to comment on is I'm a, a, a massive fan of watching the post players and, again, the nuances of the post, and in particular, Hunter Maldonado. Um, because there, there's you know basic post work. That can come down to uh, strength, you know, uh, footwork. Maldonado's kind of next level in terms of feeling the defender because I noticed a couple of times Donovan Williams got dribbled down into the post, and Donovan, you know, Maldonado's kind of deciding which way he's going to go and what his move is going to be, and there were a couple of times Donovan would put his arm up to kind of get a feeler, and it was almost like Maldonado had a sense of when the contact was coming, and Donovan would put the arm up and then be off balance, and Maldonado was gone. And you're like, wait, how did he know that the arm was going to come in for contact to push him a little bit? And he's like, oop, gone, layup. I just, I, certain guys have a sense, and an experienced guy like Maldonado, and he's a unique, a unique guy, like Jeff Linder uh, just said, um, the, the power point guard is re- it's really not that present in, t- in today's game, but it is with Maldonado. I'm going to tell you as an official what, what you get to. The better officials, as they move up the ladder, as you see more plays, as we say, you begin to settle into where the game slows down a little bit, right? And you can see what's going on. And when we talk about having awareness as an official, you want to be aware of knowing this team has a point guard that likes to back down. You want to be aware of 
the scouting report on both sides. But more importantly, what can happen after a while is when you're comfortable as an official and you're watching that play, you can just appreciate good basketball. You can kind of have fun watching it. Like You can watch the play, and you know the points that you're watching for. You talk about that arm bar that comes in on a post player. Is that an arm bar that's collapsed against your body, or is that an arm bar that you're using to force the guy farther out away from the basket? Those are the things you're watching for as an official. But once you've determined the legality of the play, and you've been watching that post play about four or five times, you can start to appreciate, like, hey, Hunter Maldonado's good at this. Yeah, I also I like listening to uh, Kevin Kruger talk about playing post defense but not getting handsy, and it is it's incredibly tough as a defensive player when you're in a tough matchup to not want to use your hands to hook and grab and tug a little bit, but that that is what makes a difference between a game where you know you're under control from a you know a foul standpoint and one where you just lose control and all of a sudden, like I said. You may you could have a couple of post players like literally draw eighteen to twenty fouls on your team because you're just you just you you can't play without using your hands. Well, that's why Royce Ham is so important for the Rebels because Royce Ham doesn't need to play with his hands. He can play with his chest. And officials are looking for that. You see them throw their two hands up in the air, they put their hands straight up like hands up, don't shoot. You know what they're saying? That the defender walled up. The defender was vertical, the defender walled up, and that there's nothing to call. They're telling the coaches and the sideline, hey, he didn't jam him out of the post. He didn't use his knee in his butt to move him off the spot. And so Royce Ham can do that. Royce Ham is chiseled in a way that allows him to do that. But the problem is for the Rebels, when it's Hunter Maldonado backing down, guards aren't built for that. Guards playing defense are not built to be able to wall up. They're built for quickness and speed. They're not built for strength in that kind of way, and that's why a guy like Maldonado can take advantage, and that's why when Jeff Linder talks about being an analytics guy, let me make one thing clear. Analytics are about efficiency, and when you have an efficiency advantage the way Hunter Maldonado in the post gives you, use it. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Something to close on real quick. You saw that Russell Westbrook went public with the fact that he's bothered by being called West Brick and he feels like his family is being abused. We need a lot more time for this, but it is very interesting. You'd like him to not punch down, but I, I will say, you know, I was reading Skip Bayless earlier calling Carson Wentz Carson Wentz, and I appreciated it yesterday when Doug Gottlieb on Fox Sports Radio pointed out the fact that is there a point when a 70-year-old broadcaster stops calling other adult males names? Would you say that about Skip Bayless? Does Skip Bayless ever act anywhere near his age? So that's a that's a no in terms of expectations of Skip changing. We'll see you.